0: That I've got a lot of words to share, and I'm on the clock this morning, and I know what it means to be on the clock because I'm a lawyer. Every six minutes. So um, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Um, great to be out here. I'm normally out at the um, the East uh, Campus, I um, over over there in Botany, and. Um, In terms of my story, I worked for a number of churches for a number of years. I worked for AOG, worked for the Baptists, worked for the Brethren, worked for the Anglicans. So I've got a very fruit salad theology. Um, I finally came home four or five years ago to the one true church, which is Elam. Um, Well, that's what uh, Steve Green told me, but let's... I'm quite concerned about his theology, let's face it. Um, And uh, I remember one day I was... uh, I was sitting in a, at a church, in my church office, I was working for a, a big church in the city at the time, and the pastor came in and he said to me, Simon, why have you got your Law Part 2 book sitting on the desk? And I said to him, you know, I feel God has called me to go off to law school to practice law, and he said, Simon, I can't believe you're leaving the ministry, and I said... With love, with truth, and with grace, you're wrong. I'm not leaving the ministry, I'm starting a new ministry through the practice of law, and God can use me as a lawyer to be able to influence people. I mean, what is Elam about? Isn't Elam about reaching, serving, and influencing uh, people for Christ? And I said to him, you know my favorite quote? My favorite quote is John Wesley. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, said, the world is my parish. The world is my parish. Um, so I went off to law school, and look, there's a lot of bad lawyer jokes out there. I mean, there's, a particular, um, there's a particular movie, an old movie called The Bee Movie. It's an animated movie, and there's a brilliant scene in it when the mosquito um, flies over to the bee, and the bee said to the mosquito, when did you become a lawyer? And the mosquito said, well, I've always been a blood-sucking parasite. All I needed was a briefcase. <laughs> so these days, I'm a, i am I know, poor lawyers... One day I'll die and there'll be Two graves, one for the Christian, one for the lawyer. No, a Christian lawyer is not an oxymoron. It's possible to be a Christian and a lawyer, and you can kind of join the two words together. Um, I'm a whole person, and so when I die, I'll be buried just in one grave. Anyway, um, I was um, so these days I'm a partner at a firm in town called Gays and I, and I and I specialize in employment law. So I act for people who don't love Mondays for a whole bunch of reasons, act for employers and employees, and try and resolve employment disputes, and I manage the team at GB, and I'm really passionate about helping, in particular, Christian lawyers love Mondays. So a couple of years ago, I was speaking at um, the Australasian Christian Lawyers Conference about the Bible in schools litigation. You should pray for that case, by the way. It's currently before the court. And um, such a great ministry out there in the schools, by the way. Um, And I was speaking, and one night in my hotel room, I was just thinking about the conference, and I felt God kind of prompt me to start a New Zealand chapter back here. And so for the last few years, we've been running the New Zealand Christian Lawyers Conference at our um, Elam Botany Campus. And only a few weeks ago, we had a whole bunch of Christian lawyers there, judges, lawyers, academics, all reflecting on what it means to follow Christ The theme of our conference was lawyers as ambassadors for Christ, uh, which is a high expectation for lawyers. Um, But um, so let me talk about your occupation, your vocation, your calling this morning, and give you three reasons why you can leap out of bed with joy on Monday morning. And uh, the first reason is this, if you've got your notes, work is God's idea. Work is God's idea. Right at the beginning, in Genesis, in the Genesis narrative, we see God at work. God was at work. He spoke valleys into existence, mountains into existence. Just with the the, the power of his spoken word, God created the world, God created the universe in which we inhabit. And then Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 says that God rested from his work. God was at work, and then Genesis 2 2 says he rested from his work, and then Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It was God's perfect design for human beings right at the beginning that we would work. You see, God's idea was that human beings would partner with him in the creation process. As we go out to work day after day, we are partnering with God in his creative process. God is a creative God. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says, look after the garden. Look after the resources that are here before you. Tomorrow morning, God has placed you in your garden to look after the resources that he has put in your world, at your workplace. Work is God's idea. It is not a necessary evil. work, it was God's idea to put Adam and Eve in the garden to look after and take care of it before the fall happened. Yeah. Yeah. After the fall, we know in Genesis chapter three, and we can't kind of go into it, but, but the Bible says that there would be, it would be, work would be difficult after the fall, because it says there'll be thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, you would, you would, you would kind of work the land, um, the Bible says, and, and work would become more difficult, but it's still God's idea Work is God's idea because he needs us to be stewards of the resources he has given us. Timothy Keller, in his great book, this is a really good book to read, Every Good Endeavor, writes, the Hebrew word for work is milka. The same Hebrew word is used for work, whether the work of human beings or God's work in creation. He writes, it is wholly unexpected that the extraordinary activity involved in creating heaven and earth should be so described. In the beginning, then, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath God. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. God's work, then he rested, and then he put man to work. And this was God's idea. In the year 1505, a 21-year-old man was walking home when he was caught in a thunderstorm. And this is a true story. This is a lawyer, right? True story. And um, he prayed to God that if God would rescue him from the thunderstorm, he'd become a monk. And so he did. Martin Luther, in 1505, entered the monastery. And while he was studying theology, he came to the conclusion that the Catholic Church was in need of serious reform. So in the year 1517 on October the 31st he stormed up to the castle church door in Wittenberg in Germany and he nailed up on that door on the front door the 95 thesis a very famous document which split the church in two and created what we now know as the Protestant church became known as the Reformation and Martin Luther had a whole bunch of ideas and which he challenged the church at the time on the Catholic church he he said that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. That was one of Martin Luther's key ideas. The other key idea for Martin Luther was the concept of calling. And what he said that the concept of calling, the concept of vocation or voca, the concept of being called by God is not exclusively reserved for Catholic priests. He said that the work of ordinary people day after day is not an ordinary job, it's a holy calling he wrote, the work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. Every occupation, every occupation, in brackets, even lawyers, he didn't put that part, has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving our neighbour. See, in Luther's day, this is interesting. In Luther's day, there was all sorts of occupations. There was the blacksmith. This is 16th century blacksmith. There was the cabinet maker, the candle maker, the shoemaker, the copper, the baker, the milliner, the printer, the tailor, and the wheelwright interesting occupations back in the 16th century, and what Luther's radical idea was this, is that all of those occupations are not ordinary jobs, they are holy callings. In the 21st century, we have a range of different jobs. Accounts administrator, IT consultant, customer service rep in a call center, plumbers, builders, electricians, accountants, teachers, love teachers, Car mechanics, bus drivers, sales reps, key account managers, CEOs, healthcare assistants, HR consultants, computer programmers, general managers, nurses, doctors, last and probably least, lawyers. And here is the point. The nature of work has changed since Martin Luther's day, but the fact that you do not have an ordinary job to go to tomorrow, but only a holy calling has not changed. That was the fundamental one of the fundamental ideas of the Protestant Reformation 450 years ago. Not only are you saved by faith alone, but you are called tomorrow morning to a holy calling at what was known prior to Martin Luther as just an ordinary job. There was no such thing, Martin Luther said. Work is God's idea. Why did Martin Luther believe that all of these ordinary jobs were actually holy callings? A couple of reasons, but fundamentally Martin Luther believed that human beings were God's agent here on earth. You see, God could have looked after the garden himself, but he called Adam and Eve to partner with him in looking after the garden. He partners with you at your daily job to look after the resources that he has placed in front of you at your, in your workplace. Martin Luther said, our work is God's mask. It's as if God is hidden through our work. Through our work, he serves and loves our neighbor through our daily job. Martin Luther said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. So let me break it down. The car mechanic loves his neighbor by doing an excellent job to repair the car so that it's safe and fit to drive. The credit controller loves her neighbor by ensuring accounts are paid so that the company doesn't go out of business, resulting in people losing their jobs. The IT consultant loves his neighbour by working at the hospital, ensuring that issues with computers are resolved so that doctors and nurses can record patient notes, and in turn, this serves patients. The contract truck driver loves his neighbour by working for council, picking up rubbish bins every week to ensure human beings can live in a healthy environment. The manager of a government contract loves her neighbor by managing her team, helping them to flourish and be the best employees they can be. Martin Luther said, creation, the work of God, is carried out through the person who is faithful to their vocation. God continues his creative work on earth where man's vocation lies. Work is God's idea. The second reason you can leap out of bed tomorrow morning with joy Work is the means by which God provides for the needs of human beings. Work is the means by which God provides for the needs of human beings. Why do you go to work? Now, I haven't put this in your notes, but stick with me. I know I speak fast. Just um, roll with it. Five E's. I'm going to tell you about the five E's. The five E's. Okay, I go to work to earn. I go to earn work to make a living. The first E. The second E is I go to work to engage. Work is a way to contribute Make a meaningful contribution to society. Third, evangelist. I go to work to be a witness for Christ. Four, entrepreneur. I go to work to make money and therefore be generous with various kingdom projects and church ministries. And Martin Luther said, all of these are valid reasons to go to work. But then he said, there was one really important reason we go to work. I call it the fifth E. And that is God's economy. God's economy. It is through our work that God provides for the needs of human beings. You see, when the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, and then Jesus talked them through what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, in the middle of the prayer, it says, Give us today our daily bread. And Martin Luther said, How does that happen? By human beings at work, serving their neighbor faithfully, God provides for the needs of human beings. God provides daily bread. When in Psalm 145, it says, he satisfies the desires of every living thing. How does that happen, Martin Luther said? Every human being faithful to their vocation, faithful to the calling that God has placed on them in terms of their work. God provides for the needs of human beings through our work. You know, um, <clears throat> at one of the Christian lawyers' conferences, um, not just recently but last year, I remember a well-known QC lawyer. So QC means Queen's Counsel, senior barrister. He came to me during one of the morning uh, during morning tea, and uh, he said to me, "You know what? No one, after 40 years in legal practice, not one person has ever told me that God values what I do as a lawyer." Can I tell you that whatever you do tomorrow for your job, God values what you do. The products that you create, the services you provide, all the whatever your work looks like tomorrow, God values what you do. You're part of God's economy. God provides for human human beings cannot flourish on earth unless we go to work tomorrow and serve other human beings. This is all God's idea. God values what you do because work is the means by which God provides for the needs of human beings. Thirdly, work is the opportunity for God's ministry through you. This is probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible because it sums up, in essence for me, what the church is, what the church is really all about. Now, these are the gifts in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility, that is the responsibility of the pastor, teacher, apostle, evangelist, and prophet, is to equip, equip, some translations use the word prepare God's people to do his work. You see, it's not the pastor's job to do God's work. It's the church's job to do God's work. It's the pastor's job to equip us to go and do God's work Monday through to Friday, including Saturday. It's um That word equip, actually, it, there's, a, there's a great book called Doing Church is Team by Wayne Cordero, and he talks about what the Greek word for that word equip is, because the Greek word for equip is used in Mark chapter 117. And so you think, What's going on, Mark chapter 1? Well, what's going on is James and John are sitting uh, near the lake, on the shores of the lake, and the Bible says that they're mending their nets, or they're preparing their nets, depending on the translation. So they're sitting there, mending their nets, preparing their nets to go back out and fish again, and that's the idea that Paul is trying to express in Ephesians 4. The purpose of church is to mend our nets, to prepare us so that we can go and fulfill God's purpose for our lives Monday through to Friday. It is to equip the saints, to prepare the saints for God, for them to be able to do God's work. God needs you tomorrow morning to do his work. I tell a great story about this. I remember one particular paper at law school, the Law of Capital Markets. Do not do that paper if you ever go after law school. It's so boring. It's the law of initial public offerings and shares and anyways, blah, blah, blah. And I remember it was Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock, and um, I was sitting there waiting for the lecturer to come in. And there was about 60 students in the um, in this little lecture theatre, and uh, sitting there, and um, lo and behold, in comes a Catholic priest, fully with the shirt on, the dog collar, the the pants, the whole nine yards, and this is not like a bad pub joke, you know, that's not like a priest and a Catholic, (laughs) and this is a true story. The priest comes in, and he comes up to the podium, and he says, good morning, my name is Peter Fitzsimons, I'm a Catholic priest up at the parish on Kuyper Pass Road, I'm also a commercial lawyer, and I love the law of securities and the law of capital markets, and I'm going to be teaching this course today, <laughs> and so for every Tuesday morning at eight o'clock for the next ten or so weeks, we listened to a Catholic priest talk us through what happened with the collapse of Bridge Corp, and capital markets, and initial public offerings, and shares, and so on, it was a remarkable concept, and you know, I thought about Peter Fitzsimons, and I, and you know what? I love about it is that he did not sit in his office up at the parish in his priestly garb and think, you know what, I'm going to go and lecture some law students soon, I better take off my shirt, I better take off my, all my priestly clothes and I'll put on some jeans and a shirt and then I'll go and lecture. No, 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 he believed in the seamless integration of the secular with the sacred. Why would I take off my priestly clothes just because I'm gonna lecture? You see, he believed in the power of integration integrating secular with sacred. I was listening to an interview recently with Bill Johnson and Brian Houston, and the interviewer said to them, and the the question was, what do you believe God is doing on planet Earth right now? What What do you see God doing? And Bill Johnson said something really interesting, which I think he was on the money in terms of my personal view, was he said, I believe God right now is breaking down the barrier, the divide between the secular and the sacred. This is why this series is so important. God is really interested in what you do tomorrow. You see, let me tell you, church is the pit stop, but the Formula One is Monday to Friday. I mean, this is the opportunity right this morning. I come here, I get my tires checked, I get my petrol checked, get my oil levels checked, and then it's Monday to Friday, I'm ready to Zoom next week. Next week, God needs you to realize that the purpose of today is to equip you, to prepare you, to mend our lives so that we can be all God calls us to be at our vocation tomorrow. Work is God's idea. Work is God's idea. Work is the means by which God provides for the needs of human beings so that human life might flourish on earth. And thirdly, work is the opportunity for God's ministry through you. And so what I decided one day is that I would write a booklet. I, I write a lot of booklets. I find Laura very regulated environment, funny, fun, funny enough, but I love the creative process of writing booklets. So one day I wrote a booklet called In Brief, and it's called, the subtitle is A Lawyer's Musings on Religion and the Meaning of Life. And this little booklet, um, In Brief, sits at our reception in our city office and in our North Shore office. And um, it's amazing. I see clients come in, and they see this booklet, and it's got a photo of a lawyer on the back, on the front cover, and and they pick it up, and and I've seen these these clients take this booklet away, and every time they take it away, I have another booklet on my desk, and I I start to write down names of clients and people who take away this booklet, all sorts of people, all sorts of walks of life, and you know what? I felt God one day tell me, Simon, this is the address book for all the people who are in your church. I'm a priest in my workplace. I'm a priest to my clients. I'm a priest to my colleagues. I'm a priest. God is calling you to be a pastor and a priest in your workplace. Imagine tomorrow morning if people saw you as the go to person for their spiritual needs. Do people know that you're a Christian as a starter? Pray for opportunities. If you are expectant, God can give you opportunities tomorrow morning to be a priest, to be a pastor, to minister to people's needs. God needs all of us in that role. Let me finish with a, a, um, a story, a couple of stories. I remember one particular client. He called me one day, and he said, someone, I haven't seen you for a few months, but I need to come and urgently catch up with you. So he did. He came and see, saw me, and this was a self-made man. He was a um, multi millionaire uh, very fit, he was into his Ironmans and so on. But this day he came in and he was bald, bald as a badger, and he had a massive scar down the back of his head. And he had been running home not so long ago, um, a few weeks prior, and he collapsed. They had five brain tumors that had um, that, um, uncovered. And, um, and he said to me, I, someone, I came to see you about the employment issue, but really I came to see you because you've always been quite expressive about your faith. And I used to have a faith. But I pushed my faith to, to one side, and I really want to get things kind of back on track. So then I said to him, no problem, let's, let's meet, you know. So we met once a month for lunch, and I just discipled him and kind of helped get his faith back on track. And I remember one day, I never I, I stopped hearing from him, and I kept on texting him to try and catch up, but he did, the line went cold. And I got a call out of the blue from his partner, who's not a Christian. And um, she said to me, oh, he's gone into hospice because the cancer has kind of taken over his body and he can't speak or have any, he's got no function functionality. And I remember going to hospice and I walked in there and um, she said, can you just, you know, pray for him? And I think he's been waiting for you to come and pray and, and read scriptures to him. So I remember walking into the hospice room and I prayed, I read scriptures and I kind of released him into, into God's care. And I said to his partner, I'm just going to pop out to the car and get my, my water bottle, I remember. And as I popped out, he he just went in that moment, just waiting to, to hear some prayers and to be, feel com- comforted. They, they, the doctor said they can still hear you, actually, in that space. And um, she said to me, Simon, you know, um, I won't use his, his real name because that would breach uh, Principle 6 of the Privacy Act 1993. <laughs> um, but um, Mark, she said, you know, Mark actually wrote, um, he, he asked me, Simon, that he'd have worship songs at his funeral he wanted to use the funeral as a way to preach the gospel to a lot of people. So you, you need to, and he told me that you need to lead the funeral. And I mean, he, he, I, mean I would have done it anyway. I would have preached the gospel. Um, and, um, and I had 150 people pile into this um, funeral chapel. And um, all these guys from primarily his Ironman, these various clubs he'd been involved in. And I talked about God, he had an Ironman type body, but now God's going to give him a new body. That was the kind of the message. And, um, and, I'll never, and and never that was only because I kept on praying each day that God would give me opportunities to be a pastor and a priest in the workplace. So I used to work for a church, but now I've got this gigantic church because the world is my parish, right? And this is, you don't have to have a personality like mine. God forbid that you did, actually, to be honest. But God can use your personality, your temperament where you are. God needs you, if you're a car mechanic, to connect with your customers and to be a priest to them. Or an accounts administrator, you are not just an accounts administrator. You're not just a car mechanical. You're not just a plumber or, or an electrician. They are holy callings. Yeah. Yeah. And God can use you yes. right there. As I... Um, not only does God have a ministry for you or through you at your workplace, let me also tell you that God is with you actual workplace because we forget that and one of my favorite people in the bible who, who really kind of um in terms of a sexual harassment case that was so unlawful and so wrong and I've dealt with a, a number of sexual harassment cases in my time, was Joseph and Potiphar's wife, who made a false claim you know, against um, Joseph. And Joseph had no rights. I mean, he should have been given, by the way, an employment agreement, the right to seek legal counsel, a reasonable <laughs> opportunity to take advice, perhaps go and see his union rep. But he had nothing. He was a slave, and he was brought into Potiphar's house to serve. And the Bible says in Genesis 39:2 that the Lord was with Joseph. Even in Potiphar's house, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Let me tell you that sometimes you might feel that your workplace is actually like Potiphar's house, but God can bless you there. God can even show you favor even in Potiphar's house. You know, I've acted for a number of Christians at Elam campuses because my name gets out there as an employment lawyer, and I've spoken to so many different Christian clients over over the years saying, even though it might feel difficult, God's got this. It might be challenging what you're going through right now, but God's got this. And God can bless you and show you favor, even if you feel like your workplace is Potiphar's house right now. And this came home to me. I remember um, the morning, particular morning, I was in court, and it was going to Custard. My client was being cross-examined, and she was breaking down, and it was it was, it was not, not pretty. And, and, and that evening, I was going to be at the Botany Campus for the Christian Lawyers Conference. And I was... And and that night I felt God tell me, uh, sorry that morning I felt when I was in, in the courtroom, Simon I'm with you right here, I haven't left you. You know sometimes we think when I get to the conference tonight that's when I'll sense God's presence, that's when God will be with me. But God is with me in the courtroom, God, let me tell you, God is with you tomorrow morning in the boardroom, God is tomorrow morning with me in the courtroom, God is with you at the workshop tomorrow God is with you at the call center. If you're a sales rep driving around, God is with you in the car. God is everywhere. And saying, go on, make me aware of your presence and give me opportunities, Lord, to have a ministry through you at my workplace. God is with you. Let me, um, let me finish. I have a um, photo, if um, you could just bring up this Perfect. One of my favourite paintings in in, in in the world would be must be Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel in Rome, commissioned by Pope Sixtus. He said to Michelangelo, "I want you to paint um, nine scenes, nine scenes from the Book of Genesis," and it became a very famous. Um, Painting in it, but but it was it was such difficult work for Michelangelo. It took him four years, and he would lie painstakingly on his back on the scaffolding, just working away. And it was really tiring work, um, day after day after day. In fact, he got so discouraged by his by his work that he wrote a letter to his friend Giovanni in 1506. And this is the letter he wrote. I've already grown a goiter from this torture, swollen up here like a cat from Lombardy. My stomach is squashed under my chin. My beard is pointing at heaven. My brain feels crushed like it's in a casket. My breast twists like a harpie's. My brush above me all the time dribbles the paint so my face makes a fine floor for droppings. My haunches are grinding into my guts. My poor bottom strains to work as a counterweight. Every gesture I make is blind and aimless. My skin hangs loose below me. My spine is all knotted from folding over itself. I'm bent taut as a Syrian bow. My painting is dead. Defend it for me, Giovanni. Protect my honor. I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. And I don't know anyone who's been to the Sistine Chapel who could come to the same conclusion as Michelangelo, that he wasn't a painter. But sometimes work can be incredibly discouraging, actually, and really challenging. And you think, what, my gosh, what the heck is my purpose in this job? What has God even, has, has God just totally left me and I'm just here all alone? That is not true. Let me tell you this morning, that the purpose of the series, the purpose of the Love Monday series, is that it's really tied to this idea of, helping you see the big picture again. You see, if, I, if it was 1506 and if I was there, I would have come in to the Sistine Chapel and I said, Michelangelo, come down from the scaffolding, come down from the scaffolding and look up and see the big picture. You see, in work life, we can get so enwrapped in the details and, and so discouraged that we actually lose sight of the big picture, don't we? That work is God's idea that work is the means by which he'll provide for the needs of human beings and work is an opportunity for God's ministry through you. And I hope this morning that something what I've said might encourage you to kind of come down from the scaffolding, to move away from the details of your job and to, to, to see again afresh the big picture. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for my friends here, brothers and sisters in Christ and Lord, I thank you that tomorrow morning we'll go into different workplaces and, and, and we have different roles, different responsibilities, perhaps for maybe for mums here who are looking after the kids tomorrow morning, their vocation on Monday morning is, is serving there or, or perhaps there's people here who are accounts administrators or car mechanics or plumbers or electricians. Whatever our jobs are, God, I pray that you would just encourage everyone here to, 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 to re- recapture the big picture that God, this is, work is your idea, Lord, that they have a ministry from you, through you, through them, sorry, into the work. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just minister that message into our hearts, into our minds. For friends here who feel discouraged or feel like work is a bit like Potiphar's house now, I pray that you'd let them know that you are with them, Lord, and that you can bless them and show them favor, even in their work environment, whatever it might look like right now. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to love Monday again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And if you um, want to get hold of this Love Mondays booklet, I encourage you to do so. It's good for like a small group resource. I'm selling it for $7. just helps me cover the cost so I can print some more. And it's got a lot more words in it, so be blessed. If you want to ca- get one, thank you. They are out there. And, um, and feel free, if you've got any feedback, you can email me at this email address. I'd love to interact. If you've got any questions or want to talk about it, no worries. Thank you. So come on, can we thank Simon? What a great message this morning.